Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. We're going to continue our study in the Gospel of John. Last week we talked about several things, but one of the key points had to do with the mixed multitude. And I talked about uh, Judas and his zeal to have the army of God overthrow the army of the Romans, but his understanding of it was wrong. He was, his religious affiliation was that of a zealot. It's the word we use today in our vernacular as zealot. And his zeal, Paul talks about the nation of Israel and his heart went out to them. He said, because my brethren have a zeal towards God, but not according to knowledge. And when our passion, when our zeal, even when it's towards God, when it's not according to knowledge, we can find ourselves doing things in a way that is not according to God's plan. So it's important that we submit ourselves willingly to God and not expect God to submit to our plans. And that's not something that is done with intent. It's not something that is done with malice. Sometimes it's done out of zeal. And so we're going to look a little closer at this mixed multitude from the house of Israel, some who follow the doctrine of the Pharisees, some the Sadducees, some the Zealots, and all, some the Epicureans. You have all of these things coming together. But what was important was the one who was right in front of them. Because all the, all the law and the prophets hung on him. But before we dive into John 6, I want to lay a foundation that John laid in verse, in chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses, verses 6 through 13, to establish our, our teaching and our study for today in chapter 6. It reads, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those 
who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. Last week, if you were with us, you recall that the people thought that Jesus was the forerunner. And that is made clear by John that John the Baptist, John the Beloved, made clear that John the Baptist was the forerunner. The people thought Jesus was that prophet who was to come. And some said it was going to be Elijah, some Jeremiah, some John the Baptist, or one of the prophets, but they misread the times and they thought Jesus was him. But I love the way John the Beloved gives us insight to who Jesus is. He said that John's role was to bear witness to the light. He wasn't the light, but there was a true light. And John even said, I'm not him. I'm not worthy to, un to take a loose his sandals, to put it in contemporary vernacular. He said, I baptize you with water, but the one who's coming after me, he's going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. John never claimed to be him, but the people assumed and they got it wrong. They had a zeal towards God, but not according to knowledge. I want to talk to you today about willingly receive him. John testified of him. And John the Beloved said they didn't know him. If you've ever felt rejection, the pain of rejection, I want to encourage you, Jesus knows how you feel. He came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. He came willing to die that they might live to give his life for them and they didn't receive him because they had their own religious doctrine. They had a, a sense of what God was like and they missed him when he was right in front of them. God deliver me from being like those who know the Bible but don't know you, who understand doctrine but don't understand you and your ways. God, we're interested in a relationship with you. We want you and we want more than you. And because you're more than enough, we can never get enough. Every day of our life, early in the morning, we seek you. When we lie down in the night season, we want more of you. God, all we want is you. We know that you desire relationship. And so we desire relationship. God, deliver us from being a people who are ever learning but never coming into the knowledge of truth. You are that true light, and you give light to everyone who comes. God, even in a generation who's fixated on our rights, the right that you gave us is the right to be the children of God. That's the right that we proclaim. That's the banner that we hold up. God, we don't want to be rugged individualists. We want to be a part of the body, your church, the body of Christ. And God, we receive the right 
to be your children and as your children we proclaim that we're the head and not the tail above and not beneath we're light and not darkness even in a dark place you cause us to shine because you are the true light God I'm a witness today you're the light of the world you're the true light and you give every one of us light this morning early in the morning I had a vision of people in a room, a picture of concert, and everyone turning on their cell phones and having the light on, the light in the room. That's what Jesus is like. He gives everyone who comes to him light. And in a dark room, in a dark room with smoke and fog, where there's thick darkness, when you turn on your light, when you turn on your cell phone, you light up the room. All of us are like that in his hand, being in a concert hall, and the light of the world gives us light, and we're light in darkness. Come on, somebody. I wish somebody would know that Jesus is the light of the world. I came to teach today, and I will do that, but when God sends a preacher, I, I must obey. The prophet said, if a lion roars, who shall not fear? And if the Lord speaks, who shall but prophesy? So forgive me if I'm obedient, but I want to take my time and take us line upon line and precept upon precept through this word. We today, John the Baptist, I want to say this and then we'll move on received rejection from the people of his day, but he received honor from Jesus, the greatest honor. Jesus said when John was in jail and his disciples came to ask, are you the Christ or do we look for another? Jesus didn't rebuke him. He told the disciples to tell John what they see. He first said, did you come to see a reed shaken in the wind. You have an image of what the Messiah should be. He said, no, nah, no. Nah. But tell John that the blind see, the dead are raised, and the gospel is preached to the poor. And then he turned to his disciples and he said, man of man that is born of a woman, there is none greater than John the Baptist. None. There's not been one. He put John over all the prophets. He said, except the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. What was Jesus saying? On the one hand, he gave him honor above Isaiah, above Ezekiel, above Jeremiah, above all of the major and minor prophets. It's because John had the singular, distinct responsibility of going before and preparing the way for the Messiah, God in flesh, the one who was with God in the beginning, who thought it not robbery to put on a body and take on sinful flesh and come into the world to redeem us all. One man was chosen to do that. The prophets saw him from afar off, but John, John was just six months in the womb before him. And when the mother who was carrying Jesus, who was formed by the Holy Ghost in the womb, John was six months older than him, 
But because, as you saw in this text, it wasn't by the will of man, it wasn't by blood, but of God, Jesus was fully formed in the womb because it was the Spirit of God. That's why the Bible says he had the Spirit without measure. And when Mary opened her mouth, John leaped in the womb because he heard the presence and his mother Elizabeth, who had been barren, began to prophesy. She said, who am I that my Lord should come here? The mother of my Lord. Nobody told her who was in Mary's womb, but the revelation comes when he is in your presence. And John had the singular responsibility that no one else had. He saw up close what the prophet saw from afar. And all of us who come after, I'm standing speaking to you in 2021, and I'm bearing witness to that light. I'm bearing witness of that light that has already come. John bore witness of that light that was there. The prophets bore witness of the light that was to come. So the prophets talked about the one who is to come. John bore witness of the one who was here, who was there, who he was present with, who he had right behind him. And John said, I must decrease so he could increase. And yet the people rejected him and rejected Jesus. They killed them both. We need to willingly receive him. Let's go a little bit deeper. John 6, I'm going to read verses 15 through 21. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark. And Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. And they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. I want you to hear this. He came to his own and his own didn't receive him. But here's what the verse says. Then they willingly received him. Then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. There's much in this text, but I just want to draw out a few things. First of all, Jesus perceived what they were about to do before they did it. 
That kind of discernment is important as we walk with him. When he perceived it, he went away. His answer to every difficult problem was to go away and pray. He wasn't running from them. He wasn't hiding from them. But he did what he always did, was to go and pray about it. The closest we'll ever get to heaven is on our knees. That's how we fight our battles. We fight our battles on our knees. They wanted to make Jesus king. They wanted to make him king, the text said. Make him king. That lets us know they didn't know he was already the king. You don't make him king, you crown him. Somebody say, crown him Lord of Lords, crown him King of Kings. But what they wanted to do was establish a government. They wanted to establish a government. The zealots were open about that in that they trained for war. They prepared for war. They wanted to overtake the government. And they, they were what you would call religious zealots. And they, now you, you can see that these people who wanted to establish a government, when they saw the things that Jesus was able to do, they thought, we can win with him. We're going to make him king. But that wasn't the will of God. Now these people were learned, many of them, in scripture. Some were not, but we're talking about the people of Israel. They want to make him king. And sometimes when people decide they want to make us what they want us to be, those things follow us. They tend to follow us. This followed Jesus all the way to the cross because they, he was asked by Pontius Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? They were unsuccessful in doing what they thought because maybe they hadn't read the prophet Isaiah who said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall rest on his shoulders. You can't make him a king when the government is already on his shoulder. And they said, and Isaiah said his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And of his government, there shall be no end. The Roman government crumbled. It had an end, but his government had no end. They wanted to make him king to establish a government in the earth realm, but they, could, they didn't see that he was already the king of kings. He's the king maker. You can't make the king maker a king. He wants to make you a king. They had it twisted. Sometimes we get it twisted. We want Jesus to be what we want him to be, what we want him to be. He wants us to be what he plans for us to be. Don't get it twisted. Somebody type, don't get it twisted. He's the king maker. We can't make him the king. And sometimes we want him to do what we want him to do, when we want him to do it, the way we want him to do it. And he's saying, trust my plan. I got you. Trust my plan. 
We can see that as we go a little further in the text. The disciples had not seen him for a while, and it was already dark. It was already dark. And some of our lives and some of the situations, we're in a place that is already dark. And we, we don't see Jesus in it. We don't see him in it. But I want to I give you some good news that's written in this text. The Bible says it was already dark. They had rode. They were toiling. They were working to get where they wanted to go for three or four miles already. Now, what you need to know about the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, where they, they were on the side of Capernaum, they were going to the other side. And depending on where you enter, it's either six miles or 20 miles. So if you assume they got in on the narrow patch, they were halfway there. But now something happens. The wind starts to blow and the waves start to, to, to rise up. So now you're toiling and you got headwinds. There are things in life that resist you no matter how hard you work. It was 12 of them, Bishop, working together, working hard, but they were getting nowhere. They were getting nowhere. Some of you are working very hard on rowing, and you're working with a team, but until Jesus gets on the boat, you're going to have headwinds. It's getting harder. And you, the harder you row, the, the scatter, the more afraid you get. And then all of a sudden, here's what happens. When Jesus shows up, you'll know it's him because he comes to take away your fear. They were afraid, but Jesus said, don't be afraid. It is I. Fear comes to torment. Jesus comes to set you free. You'll know he's arrived when your fear goes away. They were still in the storm. It was still dark. The wind was still blowing. The waves were still high, but he took away your fear took away their fear. I want you to know Jesus is coming to take away your fear. He, the storm didn't go away. The wind, the Bible, the text does not say that it got bright, that the wind stopped blowing. Don't focus on the storm. Look for Jesus. He's coming. Jesus is on the way. You need to willingly receive him. The Bible says they willingly received him. They were afraid. They were working hard, getting nowhere. It was dark. They were taking on water, but they willingly received him. I want you to know something. The disciples were already his disciples, but they willingly received him. Sometimes when we get saved, we don't think that we need to receive him. We think it's for the person who's lost, the person who's a sinner. But I want you to know I need thee. Every hour I need thee. I need to receive you every day. Lord, we need you. We're not so arrogant. We're not so puffed up to think we can do this by ourselves. The harder we work, the more resistance that comes against us. You even told us in, the, in your word, a great door is open unto me with many adversaries. But when you get on the boat, when we willingly receive you, you defeat every adversary. Every adversary is nothing to you. They are no match. The wind didn't stop. The darkness didn't cease. The waves and the billows didn't. But the Bible says immediately 
The boat was at land where they were. That's a miracle. Many people missed that miracle, Bishop. The, the, the storm didn't cease, but Jesus got them on dry land. Let me try to make this plain. Two weeks ago when Ida came through and David and I were in the storm, when we opened the doors of the car and got out, water was coming in the car and we were wading in the water. And at one point I slipped because I couldn't see what was under me. And I touched the curb and my feet slipped off. The water was deep up to our waist. And David, Dad, you're all right. Yes, let's keep moving, son. And then we got through the high water. It was still raining. It was still cold. It was still dark. But when we set our feet on solid ground, we felt more secure. Nothing around our environment changed, but we knew we were going to make it home. We were able to move it. That's what Jesus did for them. He set their feet on solid ground. He is that rock that stabilizes you. You might be in a dark place. The wind may be blowing. The, will, the billows might be rising. But when, when you willingly receive Jesus, he'll set your feet on solid ground and instantly the fear that they had when they were toiling and rowing went away because Jesus was with them and he did something for them. He didn't take away the darkness. He didn't take away the, the wind. He didn't take away the billows, but he took them out of danger. When Jesus gets on board, you're no longer in danger because the master of the sea is there with you. I want to say to you, be not afraid. No matter what your circumstance, if you willingly receive him, he'll get you where you need to be. He'll get you to the other side. Somebody say, I'm not afraid because Jesus is with me. I'm not afraid. The circumstances come what may. I am not afraid because the master of the sea is with me and nothing is hard for him. Nothing is hard for him. And all of a sudden, they didn't have to toil anymore. We can rest in him. They were rowing and rowing in the dark. But the light of the world got on the boat and immediately they got where, where they were going. If you wanna to get to where you're going, willingly receive Jesus, you will get there because he knows, he knows how to get there. He's been there. If you're feeling rejected, he's been there. If you've been wounded, he's been there. If you've been in a dark place, he's been there. There's nothing, he, he is not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But just like us, he was tempted at all points, but yet without sin. He's a faithful savior. He's a wonderful counselor. Do you need counseling? Jesus is a wonderful counselor. There's nobody like him. Talk to Jesus. Have a little talk with Jesus. He'll work it out every time. And his practice of going to be alone by himself, he witnessed, he testified. He said, I, everybody has left me yet I am not alone because my father is with me. And so he was able to face every crisis because he knew 
He was not alone. You and I can face the crises in our life because we have the promise that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And when he comes, when I willingly receive him, when you willingly receive him, he comes to take our fear away. Do not be afraid, he said. It is I. If you're in a tough situation and you're gripped by fear and every turn, fear is still there. That's not him. That's not him. You'll know that Jesus is on board when the fear goes away because perfect love casts out fear. He has not given us a spirit of fear. There is a spirit of fear and that needs to be rebuked. It needs to be resisted. It needs to be cast out. But he's given us a spirit of love and he's given us a sound mind. That is what he wants in this time of such confusion and such anxiety and depression. We need to willingly receive him because then we'll have a sound mind. We'll have the love of God. We'll have clarity of direction. We'll have our feet on solid ground. And then let, what, let come what may, we'll have the security of knowing that he is with us. Let's go a little bit further. I want to read now verses 22 through 30. They try to make a king of the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords, but they didn't know him. And so they wanted to take him by force and make him king. The one who was there with God when everything was created. He's the same substance and material as God. And they had a hard time receiving him as the son of God because if he is the son of God, then he must be God. He's making himself equal to God, they said. He's blas that's blasphemy. Why is it that they rejected him because he told them who he was, the son of God. I am my father's son. Therefore, I am a man. I'm not a dog. I'm not a cat. I'm not a lion. I'm not a deer. I am a man because my father was a man. Same substance, same material. Jesus when he declared that he's the son of God, he's saying, I'm the same substance, I'm the same material as God. I am God in the flesh. And they said, how can you be? We know you. You're Joseph's son. You're, you're a carpenter. We know your mother and your, your sisters and brothers. You, how in the world are you going to say you're telling us before Abraham was, you were, you're not even 50 years old. I want you to know that there is some, the reason we walk by faith and not by sight is because there's some things that you'll never figure out concerning God. And if you use your rational mind, you'll miss him every time because you're trying to reason and our minds don't have the capacity. David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't comprehend it. Our God is infinite in wisdom. He's vast. We know in part, and we are 
able, when we willingly receive him, to see things that the natural mind can't see. He'll disclose things in the spirit. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard the things that God has prepared for you. But he has revealed it to us by his spirit. The secret things, Deuteronomy 39 and 39 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But that which is revealed belongs to us and our children forever. Blessed are your eyes because they see. You can see things that the natural mind cannot see. But there are things related to God that is not about understanding. It's about faith. See, in the world, there's a saying, seeing is believing. In the kingdom, believing is seeing. That's why John the Beloved tells us in uh, the first chapter of John that everyone who receives him, he gives the right to be the children of God. He gives them the right to be the children of God. And as that, we have access to things that the natural mind and the carnal mind do not have access to. They'll never understand it. They'll never see it. There's a veil over their eyes. And, and until they turn to him, they will always be in blindness. I don't care how educated or how smart. This thing comes by revelation, not by intellect. Verse 22 in John 6 says, on the following day, now Jesus and the disciples are already on the other side. The people wake up in the morning. They want to know, okay, where's Jesus? Where's the one who gave us food? He took two fish and five loaves. Two fish and five loaves and fed the multitude. The Bible said 5,000 men, not include women, including women and children. So they stayed overnight in that area that the Bible said had much grass. Now they wake up in the morning, where's this Jesus? I'm hungry. It's time for breakfast. Where is he? They wanted him to meet their needs. They weren't interested in knowing about more about him and getting closer to him and getting to know him. In other words, they weren't interested in relationship. They were interested in getting their needs met. And we've got to get to the place where we're not preaching a gospel that only talks about your needs. We need a, to preach a gospel like John that points to him, the light. John had one message, and it was repentance. And all his ministry, he stuck to that. And then he had one activity, baptizing them unto repentance. John's baptism was the baptism of repentance. So everything he did and all his message was pointing to the light. We need more Johns crying in the wilderness, crying in the city, pointing to the light. It's time out for personalities pointing to their poetic gestures. It's time to point to Jesus because he's the true light. He won't let you down. He's never been in a scandal. He's never had a situation where he's had to apologize. You can count on him. You can trust him. The arms of flesh will fail you, but Jesus will never let you down. You can trust him. You can count on him. You can depend on him. On the following day when the people were standing on the other side of the sea, 
saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. But his disciples had gone away alone. They're trying to figure this out. It's like, there's no boat here. It's his disciples' boat. Jesus didn't go with them. What's going on here? However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, from Galilee to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then? that we may see it and believe you, what work will you do? Isn't this a marvelous thing? These people are seeking Jesus, but they're at, they have an insatiable appetite for signs. They saw what he did, but they're like, no, no, no. You, you want us to believe? Prove it. Do it again. Do something else. What more can he do? Let's, let's take this from the top. The next day, they're looking for him. They can't find him. And when they get into his presence, they don't give thanks for what he had done. There's no praise. There's no adoration. They ask him a question because in their minds, they're trying to figure out, how did this happen? We, we know when they left, we don't know where you were. We don't know how you got here. How are you together with them? He never answers their question. He never answers their question, Bishop, because they're premise, and they call them rabbi. So if this is a type of prayer, they're going to him the wrong way. And sometimes, Bishop, the reason we don't get answered to prayer is because we're approaching him with the wrong motives. 
And so he's trying to show us something. He's trying to teach us something. He, he didn't respond to their prayer because then he would perpetuate more. The reason he did the sign is because they were seeking a sign. If you remember two weeks ago when we talked about that, they came seeking a sign. He gave it to them. And now what do they want? Another sign. What, what will you do so that we believe you? They, still, they call him rabbi, but they don't believe him. There are too many people who call him Jesus, but they don't believe him. Who call him Jesus, but they don't know him. They don't know who he was. These people didn't know him. All they were interested in was getting their needs. And he always leads us to eternity. He said, don't seek the bread that perishes. I will give you bread that is everlasting life. His mission, he came into the world to redeem us from the hand of the enemy. He wants to take back what the first Adam lost. The first Adam was earthly. He came from the earth. The second Adam is heavenly. He came from heaven. The first Adam is corrupted. He's, he died. The second Adam is incorruptible. He comes to give life. The first Adam Death is working in him. The second Adam, life is working in him. And what he wants to give us is life and give it more abundantly, but we're focused on the temporal things so he can't work the works that he wants to work. And so they're trying to figure him out, and he does not answer their questions. The disciples are right there. They know what happened. They know their experience. They saw Jesus come to them, but they too kept silent. God told me to tell you there's a time when God does something for you, keep silent. Keep silent. In time, he will make it manifest. Have you ever had a situation where God did something for you or revealed something to you and you saw the miraculous and you're excited and you tell your friends, you tell your prayer partner, you tell whoever, and it's nothing. It's like a third. Because people are interested in what God is doing for them, not what he's doing for you. So they don't receive him. Even though God has you given that testimony so they can receive something, they don't willingly receive it. We even have a practice among ourselves. When we hear something we like, we say, I receive that. What that implies is that there's some things you don't receive. There's some stuff you reject. And when Jesus didn't say to them the things they wanted to hear, they did not willingly receive him. But I wanna be like the disciples, even when I'm afraid, even when I'm toiling and, I, and I'm out of strength, I want to willingly receive him because when I receive him, he'll work it out every time. Even if you rebuke me, Lord, I willingly receive you because every son that you receive, you scourge. There's no one that you love that you don't chasten. There's no one that you love that you don't chasten. There's no son or daughter that you receive that you don't scourge. And God, I willingly receive it because I know that you don't want destructive, destructive things to happen in my life. The Bible says that we are to admonish one another in love. 
I want you to look up that word admonish and see. Most of us think to admonish means to encourage. To admonish is to rebuke. And there are other things, but I want you to look it up yourself so that you can see that what we need to receive is not just the honey and not just the wine, the good stuff. We need to receive the bitter with the sweet. That's why he told the prophet bishop, eat the whole loaf. It'll be bitter in your mouth, but it'll be sweet in your belly. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is everyone who trusts in him. And so he doesn't answer their question, but he begins to shed light on some things because he wants to draw them. He first tells them, you didn't seek me because you saw the sign. And what Jesus is saying in an unspoken way, the purpose of the sign was to draw you to me. You saw the sign and now you want more. And notice he said, because you ate the loaves. Didn't they also eat fish? Why did he only focus on the loaves? Because he's trying to teach them about himself. He's the bread of life. He wants them to understand man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So he focuses on the loaves because what he's going to eventually get to, he starts out calling himself son of man because he's trying to give them what they can receive. Jesus knows that babies need milk, but when you grow up, you have meat. And then some of us, strong meat. And so he is giving them what he thinks that what he knows they're able to receive and they're able to receive it and they still reject it because in their minds they already have we, we know God already we know God we have Moses who gave us the law we know about the bread from heaven we'll, we'll talk about this in the coming weeks but they started to talk about the manna that came from heaven and Jesus said Moses didn't give you that. My father gave you the bread of heaven and the bread is right in front of you. I'm the bread. If you eat this bread, you'll be satisfied forever. The, the bread that you spend your money on don't, doesn't satisfy you. You'll be hungry again. But this bread will give you everlasting life. And he's leading them down that path by telling them that he's the bread that came down from heaven. And then they said, in a very pious way, what shall we do to work the works of God? And Jesus simply told them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him. If you want to, want to please God, it's not about toil, it's not about activity. It's about faith. You please him by believing him. And when you believe God, you obey him because, because then you get to know him. All that come to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. So my diligence is not with my hands, my diligence ought to be in seeking him. They came to seek him, but they came to seek him 
for their own bellies. They didn't come to seek him because of who he was, that he was the giver of life and that eternal. And so they're asking about the works of God. He tells them the works of God. And then their retort is this. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? How do they get from what should we do to, to perform the works of God to here's what you have to do in order for you to believe? Sometimes we place unreasonable demands on the one who's the creator of everything, who wants to give to us what we can't get for ourselves. And rather than bowing down and being gracious and in all humility, like Saul of Tarsus, asking the question, Lord, what will you have me to do? I pray that God would give us all a Damascus moment where we would go back to that place where we say, Lord, what will you have me to do? Rather than placing demands, we need to be asking, God, what is it you want for my life? What do you want me to do? Because you are the potter and I am the clay. Make me and mold me after your will and after your way. There is a, there is a time and a place and a space that is filled with darkness and the light of the world wants us to willingly receive him because in him there is no darkness and all darkness must flee in the presence of a holy God, the, the, the light of his countenance is so bright that when Moses was in prayer and fasting for 40 days on Mount Sinai, when he came down, his countenance shone so bright that he had to put a veil. The people couldn't stand to look at his countenance. I pray that we would seek God for that reason so that we could be more like him, so that we can get to know him. And on that mountain stand, he asked God, show me your ways. God, I want to know your ways. I don't want to just see your hand. I don't want to just know what you can do for me. I want to remember what you've done for me. I want to remember what you are doing for me. I don't have to ask you for anything. You know what I need. I just come to give thanks. I just come to worship you. I willingly, we willingly receive you today. God, we surrender all at your feet. I got a text message yesterday, which let me know the news wasn't gonna be good. And I got, I called this person. It's a person I've known for several decades. Uh, we worked together and they wanted to tell me about a person who, brilliant person, great leader, West Point cadet, 
trained in war, brave, leader. West Point produces leaders. Advanced degree from Columbia. Very, very bright. When you talk to him, it's like he has it all together. But he operated, unfortunately, in his own strength and on what he had. And today someone sent me a post from his daughter, which someday, with permission, I'll read. But they called me to tell me that this person's life had been spiraling for some time out of control. And I, I didn't know it. We don't have close contact. I have something in my house prominently displayed that he gave me 10 or 15 years ago of a family unit together. And I know now looking back, it was something he desired, something he saw that existed in my house that he wanted in his house. And I'm so glad that I've declared that as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. But this person had a dust up with his son. Uh, he had three, a wife and three children. And the police came to his, their home and told them they found him with a plastic bag over his head. He couldn't find his way out of the darkness because there was no light. And I thought if I could speak to him today, I would let him know that there is a light. There is a way out. I know that you feel like you don't have the strength to go through it. You've toiled through all of this. And then when I read the heart of his daughter, it caused me to weep because it didn't have to be that way. He'll never see his grandchildren. He'll never walk her down the aisle. She misses that. And I started to think another young child said this. He's 12 years old, same age as David. He said, what about his son? He's going to think it's his fault. It's not his fault. His wife, the only love he's known, doesn't know, can't get a grip. She doesn't understand the, the, the people who are also left in darkness because of that. I can't speak to him, but I can speak to you in his honor and on the behalf of his family and say, there's always a way out. Jesus is the way. He's the light of the world. There's nothing, there's nothing that you're going through that he can't get you out of, that he doesn't understand. You just need to willingly receive him. And I don't know what this person's faith was. I really don't. I know that he was a Catholic. I know that he believed, but he lost his grip. He started to drink excessively, but he was trying to medicate that need. And the problem with pouring ourselves into things that are destructive is when we come down, it's still there. But there's one who's able to take it away. I'm a witness, he can make you brand new. It is not possible to have an encounter with the living God, with Jesus who is the Christ, and not to be made new. If anyone 
is in Christ. They're a new creation. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. I sense in my spirit, keep playing, keep playing. That some of you are in a dark place and things are weighing in the balance. Just like the disciples who belonged to him, by the way. But hit the, the text said it had already gotten dark. It had already gotten dark. And for some of you, it's already dark. And in initially, he wasn't there. That's how darkness comes in when light isn't present. But then when he showed up, he came to take their fear away. He wants to take your fear away. And when your fear goes away, like a miracle, just like they got to where they were going, your pain will go away. You don't have to live with that pain. There's more for you. There's something on the other side. And I just sense deep in my spirit that that news that was given was given for a purpose, to minister to someone who can hear me to minister to someone who still has an opportunity to willingly receive him and to allow him to shine his light in that dark place. I promise you, by the word of God, there's nothing too hard for him, nothing. No matter what you're facing, there's nothing too hard for him. And he's got people, he's got people who can see, who can discern, who know how to war in spiritual things, who will pray with you, who will be with you. And it's gotta be with him because all 12 of them were rowing and they were getting nowhere because they were doing it in human strength. But once he shows up, you'll get where you're going. I know it seems a long way off, but he'll get you there. And so I wanna pray with you, and I want you to reach out to those who will pray with you or just be a listening ear. Sometimes you just need to release it. You've been carrying it too long. You need to talk to somebody who understands, who will listen. And I wanna to say to those who are waiting to pray, if somebody comes to you with a heavy burden, listen, don't talk. LSP, listen, then share, then pray. But first, listen. People who are in a difficult spot need someone who really cares. And we show that we care by listening. Don't share before you listen. Listen, share, and then pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We willingly receive you no matter where we are. If we've never received you today, we say, take my life. I willingly receive you. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. 
Wash me in your blood, your blood that redeems me from all sin, that cleanses me from all unrighteousness. I willingly receive that today. And God, there are some who, like the disciples, are already with you, but they're toiling in the darkness and they're looking for you. Bring them to the light. Let your light shine in darkness that they might walk in the light, in the beautiful light. God, where the dewdrops of mercy shine bright. Jesus, you are the light of the world. I'm a witness. I testify today that you are that light. We're not the light. You, we receive of your light and now you've made us salt and light because you're the giver of light and you're the giver of life. Somebody needs you, Lord. Somebody needs to hope against hope. They're about to give up hope, but you're the hope of glory. Jesus Christ in us is the hope of glory. You are the hope of glory. Release them. Release them from the bondage of their mind. I pray now in the name of Jesus. It is so. And so it is in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.